Move Forward Radio is brought to you by ChoosePT.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Find a physical therapist near you at ChoosePT.com. Welcome to Move Forward Radio. I'm Eric Reese. Physical therapist Kara Scholl believes that physical literacy is the basis for a healthy and active life, and she wants everyone to have access to it. It's a message that she and her team at the nonprofit organization Movement to Be convey to kids in underserved communities in New York City. But what is physical literacy? Simply put, it's understanding how the body moves, why it needs to do so, and how to control your muscles to achieve the highest level of performance and reduce injury risk. It's also a means to motivate you to value and participate in physical activity. This kind of literacy isn't about book smarts. It's about body smarts and having fun while learning about and performing physical activities that promote confidence and well-being in all areas of life. In this episode of Move Forward Radio, Kara discusses her program and its five pillars of movement. Each pillar builds upon the others, forming the foundation for an active and healthy future. Movement, Kara says, is the key to life. It's the gift that helps us be who we were made to be and do the things we were made to do. Here's our conversation. So, Kara, uh, uh, thanks for joining us on Move Forward Radio. Uh, you practice physical therapy in New York City, where in uh, 2017, you founded a Movement to Be, which is a, a nonprofit organization that provides what you call, quote unquote, physical literacy programs to youth in underserved communities with the goal of uh, planting seeds for a, quote, lifetime of fitness and health. So I've got a couple of questions there. Uh, first of all, Kara, uh, what do you mean by the term physical literacy? If anyone is familiar with the terminology of physical literacy, there's a lot of different definitions out there. So with our program, we essentially came up with our own definition. And for all of those who are clinicians, I'll give a clinical answer and then I'll give more of a regular answer. But basically, we say that physical literacy is understanding body mechanics and neuromuscular control in order to prevent injury and move at optimum performance. So really, it's just teaching our youth how to control their body and their movements. We provide tools to all of our youth to be able to be all that they're made to be through health and fitness. Okay, so um, is, there, is there a greater need for physical literacy in underserved communities than there is in other communities? Yes, and I'm glad you asked that because physical literacy is needed everywhere. Uh, I'm sure you can think of as an adult, man, if I had known how to stretch properly or squat properly, I probably wouldn't have thrown out my back, you know? So there's always a need for it, but more prominently, one thing that I started to notice uh, in some of my background, I was fortunate enough to work at the pro and elite level as a physical therapist. And I just happened to notice that we're catering to more of the people who can afford things like healthcare and who can afford personal trainers and whatnot. Um, And in more of the underserved communities, they don't have some of those same opportunities. More specifically with kids, they are not afforded some of the same opportunities to be in soccer and dance. And, you know, some of the kids, especially here in the city, you know, they're, they're in all these different activities. If their parents are affluent and they come from more of a home where they can afford those things, whereas the parents who are having three or four jobs 
just to make ends meet, they're not able to take them to dance and soccer or maybe afford some of those things that inadvertently would help them to develop their neuromuscular system. So they're just not given some of those same opportunities. Well, can you talk a little bit more about how that affects the physical uh, literacy of these children? Well, so like we said, with the definition, it's not only them understanding their body mechanics, but really when we're young, a lot of people know about the first year of life, how we're developing all our synapses and all our brains and all of our reflexes. And, you know, kids at six months are able to sit and then a year they're able to walk. Well, then they start to develop those neuromuscular patterns. And again, those, those synapses where they're their nerve endings are able to fire to get them to develop a certain neural pathway. And so when kids are inactive, or I should say less active, when they aren't doing things that are challenging those synapses, and as we know, like that hand-eye coordination, that motor control, then they're not developing it as well in their brains. So they're having a little more difficulty, which you know we may not see directly, right away, but it is something that will start to affect them in one, their joints ability to react and respond quickly. So that's mm -hmm. something that with those neuromuscular synapses, when they're faster, a child's mm -hmm. going to be less prone to having an injury. If say someone comes and quickly pushes them or they kind of fall off the sidewalk a little bit, something like that, they, they're less prone to, to spraining an ankle. They also, just speaking on brain development, when they're not developing those neuropathways, so they're going faster and they're more specified, then they're also, there's a possibility, there's a lot of research out there of how exercise obviously helps in building up the brain. So if they're not doing these sorts of things, then their brain is also affected and they're unable to learn as much. So it's all encompassing of a lot of different areas of their lives. Which is something you don't always tend to think about. I mean, there, there is yeah. a physical component, but there's also that mental co component to exercise. Definitely. Well, and even we see in our kids, uh, again, we say it's all encompassing because also their self-esteem, you know? I mean, when kids aren't really put in some of these situations where, yeah, they might be challenged with an activity, but once they can get it and they realize like, wow, if I practice this, I could do this. It's building their self-esteem. It's building their confidence. And um, thankfully in our program, what we try to do a little different than just being in a sport is we also help them to see that they are growing and they can do these things. Uh, well, that's why we're called movement to be because we, we help them to understand that movement is key to life, to be who they want to be. And that might not necessarily be an athlete, you know, because mm -hmm. so, let's be real. I think... <laughs> Well, I don't know how you were as a kid. I actually, I enjoy athletics now, but I failed every physical fitness test back in grade school. Yeah, um, I was kind of in the getting picked last for kickball kind of. Exactly, uh, exactly. But you know what? You need movement too. We all need movement to be the people that we want to be because whether it's an accounting job or playing with our kids mm -hmm. one day, you know, we, if we're in pain, we can't do those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And, and actually, it occurs to me what you're saying about kids' sort of uh, mental well-being, uh, especially in underserved communities, there's a lot of forces that are conspiring for them not to feel so good about themselves, maybe. So this can be hugely important. Exactly. Yes. And things like we never know exactly what they're experiencing at home. Some have good families, you know, some don't. And so there's also a lot of research on some of the trauma uh, that they might experience, whether kind of verbal abuse or even... God forbid, but physical abuse, you know, some of those things are affecting their brain and its development. So how can we fix that? We might not be able to fix their home, but if we can 
show them through this program all the things that they can be and they can do and then still give them that exercise. So playing with the science a little bit, then helping their brain to develop more. Gosh, we're giving them, that's why we say we're empowering youth. Mm -hmm. Now, Movement to Be teaches that there are five, uh, you call them pillars of movement that are involved in instilling physical literacy and, and each pillar sort of builds on the previous ones. So I'd like to talk with you about each of those steps in turn. The first one is strength. What, what's involved there? So again, when we research physical literacy, it was just kind of vague. Kids should be able to skip or hop. And so we wanted to lay it out so it's very clear with these pillars that we give them each definitions. And like you said, they build upon themselves. And we felt like strength is the most important because strength gives you that foundation. And we give a definition of it's the ability to control movement. If you ask any adults even, or even fit a fitness professional, we went around the room as we were kind of thinking of these things. And there's personal trainers and other physical therapists who were like, strength, that's kind of <laughs> difficult to define. But we just said, you know, it's the ability to control your movement. And one example that we give kids is because we, we actually, we teach them a lesson of the day um, and so, or of the week. It, and, and we make them learn these definitions so they understand these concepts as well. And so they'll, they'll be able to tell us that, oh, strength is the ability to control your movement. And we give them the example of, okay, if I, I'm kind of small. So if I was to pick up this guy who's 260 pounds, would I look like I had control? And, you know, of course they're like, no, you know, you'd be <laughs> wobbling all over the place. And so we say, but then if I was, if I was bigger or maybe a little stronger, I could control that movement. Right. Um, so that really gives them that concept of clicking like, oh, if I'm strong and then we apply it to life. So are you, if you're strong for, it could be a sport. If you're strong for football, how do you look like you have control when you move? Mm -hmm. If you're strong for carrying groceries home, how do you look strong when you move? So again, we use that definition and we apply it to life. Mm -hmm. So, so then the, the second step is, is mobility. And, and, and as a physical therapist, Kara, you're, you're, you're a movement expert. I mean, that, that, that's, that's part and parcel of your job. So what messages do you convey with regard to the importance of, of movement and physical activity? Well, with mobility, we define it as the ability to move freely and easily. Um, and this is really easy to give them the concept not necessarily because they're feeling it in their own bodies yet, because they're obviously pretty mobile at that age. Um, but we give examples of a grandma when she's walking down the street, no offense to any grandmas out there, but <laughs> just as an example, when someone can't be mobile, then they can't do as many things like getting up and down from the floor or getting the top shelf uh, dishes or throwing that ball. So in that aspect, we kind of in and of itself include that we need mobility to be able to live and move. And the simple things, and it's simple things that we often forget. So as a movement specialist, we take advantage of teaching them, especially the mobility concept, because it, it really brings around the idea that, gosh, if I can't move, I can't do some of the things that I normally take for granted. So the third pillar is balance. Can you talk a little bit about that component? Mm -hmm. Well, and this is where it starts getting, again, uh, we need the other two. So we say that we need strength. We teach them about their core strength and the ability to stay mobile or move quickly in order to be able to control their base of support. So this is what we define for that. And we say that your base of support 
is your ability to stand and then to stand on one leg it's kind of where your center of your gravity is and so we teach them about being able to be strong and to control where they are in space so then we give them different challenges of being able to hop and then stick a landing and stay or we do things as simple as holding a cone on your head and being able to walk and keep your proper posture and keep that center of gravity exactly where it should be. When you talk about stuff like keeping a, uh, putting a cone on your head, it, it occurs to me that, that, that kind of having fun with this must be a big part of what, what you do and how you teach. Oh yeah, because one thing, I mean, I'm explaining it to you all this way and some of the science, but kids don't care about that. Sure. <laughs> and really what's gonna plant those seeds and the things that they'll remember is the experiences that they have. So it, kids, all they care about is fun. Mm -hmm. So we try mm -hmm. to make it as fun as possible. So what a typical class looks like is we do go through a warm up. We teach them that concept of the day, whether it's strength or mobility. And then we do activities all based around it that are fun and get them laughing, obviously, and moving and always bring it back around to that. Hey, how do you use this in life? How do you need this mm -hmm. sort of thing? Do you find yourself tapping your inner kid a lot? Oh, yeah. I've always loved, I've always loved kids. I've always loved, I was always kind of the camp counselor person, uh -huh. but at the same time, I wouldn't say it's for those who only love working with kids. It's kind of been fun to see how other uh, instructors or volunteers have come and found their inner kid, even when they don't think that they're good with mm -hmm. kids, you know, because uh, mm -hmm. they're coming out and realizing this is kind of fun. Mm -hmm. Oh, these kids are having a lot of fun. <laughs> so. Yeah, I think it brings out the inner kid in everyone. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so we've, at this point, we've got strength, we've got mobility, we've got balance. Now, the fourth component of the, the fourth uh, pillar, if you will, is, is coordination. What's involved there? Well, and this is my favorite one. But again, it's more so at the top because we do believe you have to have that strength, that mobility, that ability to find your center of gravity, keep control. Because then coordination, we say, is the ability to do two or more things at once. So we explain that as your hand-eye coordination, your foot-eye coordination. And this is always my favorite lesson. Uh, it gets a little chaotic sometimes, but because oftentimes we'll get out tennis balls and have them do different things with tennis balls. And you'd be really surprised by some of the inability, unfortunately, uh, speaking, kind of backtracking a little bit, um, some of the underserved youth in these communities, you know, they're not doing things like throwing a ball. So seeing them being able to toss a ball just from one hand to the other and kind of putting it high up in the air, some of these kids really struggle. You know, there's always, the, there's always natural athletes, but this is where we see like, wow, they haven't necessarily developed those neurosynapses that are helping them to do two things at once. Right. Um, another example we do a lot with coordination is with ladders. So having them hop through the ladders doing different patterns because again they're using their their foot and eye coordination and even just something as simple as doing a single leg hop through the ladder and staying on the same leg a lot of kids struggle with that so again this one also shows us this is really effective and these kids do need to work on this these things because they they're not able to skip as well they're not able to do the things that Normally what physical literacy would say is, yeah, these kids should be able to hop and skip and jump. And yeah, they might be able to now and then, but really to master it, uh, this, is, this is one of my favorite pillars. Right, because a lot of that stuff comes with, with repetition. And unlike exactly. you know, suburban kids who might go through Little League or something like that, you know, they're, they're mm -hmm. not getting those repetitions earlier in their life. 
Exactly. A quick break to encourage you to move. Physical activity is associated with a reduced risk of chronic disease, not to mention improved bone health, cognitive function, weight control, and overall quality of life. Simply put, more movement is the gateway to better health. Need some help to get going? Physical therapists are movement experts who use exercise, hands-on care, and patient education to help you meet your goals. You can contact a PT directly for an evaluation. Learn more and find a physical therapist near you at choosept.com. So the fifth and final pillar of movement that you teach in movement to be is, is endurance. So obviously you put these other, other factors together, but now you've got to get it all working in a kind of a sustained way, right? Yes, yes. So endurance, we say, is the ability to do something for a long period of time. Uh, and so you're right, we bring everything back around for this one. So it's being able to have your strength for a long period of time or being able to balance for a long period of time. So we just put that time component onto it and it really helps the kids to get this concrete in their heads of, oh, being able to now have the endurance to do something is really helpful because endurance is kind of more so like our life, you know, you have to I keep giving the example of the groceries, but carrying the groceries from 10 blocks away, you have to be able to really hold that strength for a long time. Um, and this is, again, another pillar that we see is our weakest pillar. Again, kids, one, because of attention span, but two, uh, this is not only cardiovascularly, but also muscularly. This, this is one that kids struggle with as well. Because again, in some of these communities, if they're, especially during the pandemic with COVID, you know, they're sitting at a computer all day. They're not really moving around. They're not getting some of the same physical activity that they used to. So they get tired. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, you know, I was, I was going to ask you something else, but you're bringing up COVID. I mean, during, during this period of COVID, how, how has that affected or has it affected your ability to, to conduct sort of in, these in, kinds, kinds of in-person programs with kids? Unfortunately, we did have to take a little break this fall just because of the nature, especially because we're based in New York City. Uh, we, uh, with schools kind of being in and out and obviously taking the precautions, they're not really allowing outside people to come in. Right. So we have had to take a little break, but thankfully we were able to run a socially distanced program over the summer, which was mm -hmm. a lot of fun. We just kept the kids outside we kept them six feet apart and we wore masks and the whole nine yards. Um, but it's really actually given us kind of a, it was almost like a step back to be able to launch forward uh, because we've been putting together more online products so that we can really move forward and help other people to be able to run a movement to be in their community. Because we have for the past three and a half years, you know, we've really seen its effectiveness and we've seen that this is really benefiting these communities and helping these youth to develop better. Um, we've been doing some pre-tests and post-tests as well during each class to see that they are improving in those five main pillar areas. Mm -hmm. And so just compiling all that effectiveness, we said, you know what, this is not a downtime for us. This is the time to move forward and take this more nationwide. Mm -hmm. and, and I probably should, should note here that, uh, that your program, it's, it's the word movement and then the, uh, the number two and then uh, B, B-E. Um, and people can find that easily online. Yes, movement, the number two, B-E. So, um, uh, Kara, for listeners who are seeking ways to engage their own kids in physical activity and foster uh, healthy habits, 
can you translate sort of the, the teachings and lessons of what you're doing in movement to be to everyday life? And, and I'm, I'm thinking here of a piece that you had written for the American Physical Therapy Association's website in which you listed ways that your fellow PTs can promote a healthy movement. And uh, some of the steps you listed in that piece could apply to parents too. I mean, for, for one thing, you advised uh, your fellow PTs to offer what you called uh, movement experiences um, and, and something they could do even during the pandemic. So where are some community and uh, web resources that you'd advise our listeners to check out physically or virtually to find such experiences? There's always a lot out there. Um, even just looking at physical activity, uh, physical literacy, you could look at things about, even on YouTube, just about uh, getting kids moving and active. And there's a lot of creative activities out there that parents can do um, mm -hmm. just by simply Googling that. Um, there's also always, and you can always look for more of a credible resource, of course, at the CDC, looking at, you know, their guidelines for physical activity, because they do give guidelines and some ideas. Also, just, I, I mean, I always think it's fun, and maybe it's a little easier for me, obviously, because of my background, but just, just getting a little bit creative in setting things, setting the tone of things of, you know, let's, we're going to go outside today, and we're going to move every day. Uh, the reason, again, we're called movement to be, the number two, we emphasize that um, at least doing two things for your body a day is helpful. So whether that's going for a walk or doing some stretches, uh, just like a dentist said, you know, if you brush your teeth twice a day, you mm -hmm. can prevent cavities. I firmly believe that since we are these movement specialists, we mm -hmm. should be saying, hey, if you can do two things for your body every day, you might prevent some injuries. So again, it can be anything from stretching, walking, anything that's like really looking at your body, breathing. It doesn't have to be, you know, going and doing a crazy hard workout or right. going and, and running 10 miles, you know, yeah, that can, that can help. But even then you still have to think about, okay, if we did all those things, let's think about how are our joints feeling? How are our muscles feeling? So right. even that is a movement experience. I think more specifically, instead of saying offer an exercise class, it was more like, you know, let's think about how our body moves and how we sit in a chair and stand back up and how each joint, when we move our shoulders, how do they feel? Because again, the concepts of working out really hard is it's good, but in a balanced world, you know, we're all very different. So looking at our body and cherishing it is the only one that we get for however mm -hmm. long we have on this earth. It's sure. like, wow, we really need to think about the experiences that we're giving our body as well. Sure. Well, you know, another piece of advice that you had would, would offered in that APTA piece was that, uh, that, that people should challenge themselves. Uh, so in, in what ways might listeners go about challenging themselves and others to get moving as it were? Mm -hmm. Well, I think I said challenge yourself, right? So not comparing to anyone else, but looking at if you can think of one thing that you think might be difficult, whether that's, ooh, if I was to tell myself that every day I'm going to, let's say, hold a plank for one minute. You know, if that sounds difficult, that's probably a challenge to you, yourself. To some people, they'd be like, oh, I mm -hmm. could do that. So finding something that's specifically a challenge for yourself and then building upon that because every day and every moment you can continue building on it and, and looking at something that would challenge you 
and keep going with it. Cause then after a while you look back and you're like, Oh, I remember when that was difficult. Oh, that's easy now. Um, yeah, but again, yeah. it could be anything from walking, running an extra mile, doing a yoga, a basic yoga class, but always starting right where you're at and thinking, I, I say, again, the root of it is to go, Hmm, what would be my challenge, my personal challenge and you- give yourself a time frame to really work on it. Uh, when you talk about time frame, I mean, is there is there an ideal time frame? Well, to develop habits, <laughs> uh-huh. you definitely do something for at least a month because then it becomes that 30-day period can become something that therefore, you know, is ingrained a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would say give something that's just as a general standard. Um, everything, everything might be a little bit different, but at least 30 days, I think you're pretty, you're pretty well set. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kara, I have to ask you, do, do you practice what you preach? Do you challenge yourself every day? I do. I do. <laughs> I mean, at least I try. Yeah. I, um, yeah. So again, as a physical therapist, I constantly challenge people to do exercises throughout the day. So for myself, I'm working with them. So therefore it makes me move throughout the day. But I also, I really enjoy running. So that's where I kind of challenge myself more often of running maybe a little faster, a little longer. I don't do marathons as much as I used to. And not that that's for everyone. <laughs> yeah. yeah, don't, <laughs> don't set that as an expectation. Of, no, no, no way. But it's just something that I've kind of found a niche in. But I do do something every day. I, I lay out, when I lay out my week, I always put in for every day, whether that's a rest day or a recovery day, I make it a priority to exercise at this time, you know, because I feel like when you schedule it, you'll do it. So that's what's been effective for me is I, I put in my schedule and I say, you know, I'm going to do this workout this day. And then I'm sure I'll be tired from that workout. So mm-hmm. then I'll do a recovery day and I'll do a yoga day here. And that's been effective for me. Another thing that you had uh, talked about in, in that uh, in that piece for APTA to your to your fellow physical therapists and and, and PTAs is uh, friendly competition, uh, friends and family members uh, having friendly competitions that, that that can encourage movement. Can you can you talk about that a little bit? Mm-hmm. Well, it, it's always encouraging to have someone alongside you, you know, or to at least cheering people on. Uh, we actually, for movement to me, we did a virtual thirty in thirty. So we just challenged people to run or walk 30 miles in three days. So with that challenge, again, if you think of it, it's like, well, that sounds kind of hard. That's 10 miles a day. But we found that the community that we were able to build just by doing it virtually. So we had it on our social media posts and uh, we tagged people and we tracked it on, you know, you can use any, there's a lot of apps out there like Under Armour or Adidas has some, you know, biking running apps. Uh, there's Strava. There's a lot out there. You can even Google, you know, different uh, physical activity apps. Uh, mm-hmm. You can even do it on your Fitbit. You know, you can kind of combine people and make and, and get friends. And then you can encourage each other as you see someone tracking their activity. And I think most people, even if they kind of hate the idea of social media and things like that, mm-hmm. I think most people get get uh, a little more excited by it. It's always nice to when you're on a run, you, you, you know, something might pop up that says, keep going, you're doing great, you know? Uh-huh. Um, so that, that's, it's kind of a fun challenge. And again, there's no downside of it, right? It's helping, it's fun, it's everybody's getting physically active. Again, same as with our program with kids. I think 
it's not only helping the physical aspect of things, but during such a time as COVID, it's really helping mentally. This is more mentally draining than we have realized as mm-hmm. we've, we're quarantined, we're not, we're not talking to people as much, all those sorts of things. You know, it helps us to feel like we have a sense of community again, too, which is important. Kara, mm-hmm. uh, you, you've written that you, you started Movement to be in part to, to raise people's awareness that, that movement is, is the key to life. Why do you think that, that that awareness is as lacking as it as it appears to be? And and I guess your your program is all about trying to increase that awareness. As a physical therapist, I've been privy to when people notice that, gosh, I can't do this anymore. You know, yeah. um, say they have a you know they have a rotator cuff injury, and they're like, gosh, I can't even put my shirt on anymore. And a lot of people are often very surprised by that. And it's like, yeah, because we disregard the things that we're able to do easily. And so I think it's important for us, again, even as movement specialists to, in a way, make people aware that, gosh, we should, one, be really thankful for the things that you can do easily and are subconscious because your body's not having to think about how to do that again. And just being aware that, I keep reiterating, we get one body, so we really have to try to take care of it because it's got to last us for a while. (laughs) We want it, we want it to feel good because when something doesn't feel good, Then my story actually was that at age 21, I got really bad back pain. I have, I have scoliosis through my mid spine. And so I uh, never needed to have surgery, but it did affect me. Um, And I was always pretty active. I did crew in college and I got some really, really bad back pain. Thankfully, no major herniated discs or anything, but Mm -hmm. just that at that age, I remember I couldn't even stand up right. I couldn't walk. And people were like, you're so young. What's wrong with you? You know, and you're like, gosh, I didn't even realize how important taking care of my body is. Uh, after that, going to PT school and recognizing that, gosh, if I work these muscles and I keep this joint alignment, mm-hmm. then wow, I can really, you know, I can honestly say now I, I get, yeah, a little bit of, you know, kind of like, oh, my back's a little bit sore, but not like I used to. So I think it's really important for us to be aware of, of how our body affects our lifestyle and who we are. Cause I remember, you know, that in that time I couldn't even go to work. I was so, I wasn't fun to be around cause you're just in pain. You can't right. be as social, you know, you can't do all the things you're made to do and made to be. So um, that's why we kind of reiterate that I'm glad you're not having any issues now, but we want to bring to light the fact that your body really affects every area of your life. Did your scoliosis influence your decision to become a PT? You know what? It did not, actually. But it was after the fact that I realized, yeah, yeah, like, wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow, I'm glad I'm learning about this because this really helps with my It, it really my helped scoliosis. you learn to, learn to know what to do about it. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And, and, yeah. and now it's kind of come full circle because you can, you can help others with the incipient problems and, and trying to make sure that problems don't happen. Definitely, definitely. So um, just to sort of in closing, Kara, anything that we haven't talked about that, uh, that you wanted to mention or, um, or uh, have, a, have a follow-up to something that we've discussed? Well, as you had mentioned, if anyone is hearing this and they're enlightened and intrigued by movement, and I encourage all physical therapists and, and everyone really, but as physical therapists, as movement specialists, gosh, we, we have the ability to make such a big difference in our communities and in our worlds. So I'm thankful that I was able to have some opportunities to start Movement to Be because it helps us to really get the word out there in the community. So if it is something that interests our listeners, like you mentioned, 
I can always check out our website at www.movements2b.com. Mm -hmm. um, also following us on Instagram. Uh, we have lots of pictures of our youth being active. So you can kind of check out and get a preview of, of what it's like. And like I said, we are moving forward in 2021. We are looking to expand. So looking for other health and fitness professionals who want to take a program like this to their communities. So we've been creating some trainings and um, mentorship programs where people can join in with us and, and really take this to our, to their communities. Um, so we teach them how to, you know, find whether it's a community center or a school and figure out the scheduling and then utilizing our curriculum to take and teach a class. So if that's something that interests people, we, where we would love to connect. Um, so again, you can reach out to us um, at our website. You can also email us at movement2b at gmail.com. And then same with our Instagram. You can always direct message us on Instagram. Yeah. Kara Schultz, thanks so much for joining us on Move Forward Radio. Yes, thank you. Thank you for listening to Move Forward Radio. Insight from our guests is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Or find previous episodes at ChoosePT.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Find a physical therapist near you at ChoosePT.com. ChoosePT.com.